everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside... Connor Baltazor. And we were worried about this game. <laughs> okay, well, one of us was worried about this game. I wasn't, I wasn't not worried about this game, but I wasn't as worried as you were. Yeah, but yeah, the your Kansas State Wildcats comes out with a victory in the cat fight, 40 to 12 up against the Missouri Tigers, my childhood team. And, you know, we'll just go straight into the general game day recap. It's going to be a pretty standard recap episode in terms of the outline. But in terms of the general game day recap, we really have three main takeaways or at least three that I can think of. Firstly, this is two games to start the season without a non-garbage time touchdown, but because Eli Drinkowitz is the way he is, you can read that in several different ways. The only touchdown that was given up by the K-State defense was the last play of the game. And that's just impressive. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, it's eight quarters without a meaningful touchdown. I mean, yeah, technically there was a touchdown at the end of the fourth quarter, but if you apply any level of context to that situation, I mean, you can look at it and see. They they pretty much got three last plays. Granted, two of them you can't be too upset about. The last one was kind of Mickey Mouse, but yeah. Uh, I, I mean, like I'm not upset. It would have been nice to not allow the touchdown, just like to to keep that stat like a little easier to keep track of without like the garbage time qualifier, but. It really doesn't matter in the same way that the touchdown didn't matter. So, uh, I mean, yeah, like you said, incredibly impressive uh, from the defense to go this long without a touchdown. Yeah, and then we'll we'll go over a bit more in the defensive stats because there are a lot of people that, to show our hand a little bit, the offensive MVP was very obvious, but the defensive MVP, there were a lot of options. But the next thing we took away was the passing game looks improved but still not at a particularly high level yet. And that could be attributed to the rain, but what did you think of it? Um, I, I definitely did think it looked a little better, particularly because there were there was at least one big pass play that didn't count. It was the that pass to Deuce Vaughn, and that ended up getting called back uh, because of, I think, a Cade Warner, like, yeah, pass offensive pass interference. interference. Yeah. And uh so there were at least a few plays that didn't count that maybe should have. Um, and there are other reasons, but it definitely looked better than it against South Dakota. I'm no longer in alarm bells mode, but I would like to see uh more continued improvement. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. It's to where I each time I hate to do this, but there's kind of like a built-in excuse for both times. The first one, it was an extremely vanilla offense that we didn't need to pass the ball much in. And then this time it was raining the entire game. So the ball was probably like throwing and catching a rock. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not worried about it. The final game, final general takeaway before we go into game stats is just the penalties. And I know that Kleiman said after the game, he's never going to complain about losing 40 to 12, but there are a lot of penalties in this game. And even if it wasn't like an abnormal amount of penalties, a lot of them were consequential. 
Like, for example, you had the Cade Warner offensive pass interference. You had the Seth Porter, I think it was unsportsmanlike or personal, where it caused a uh, Seth Porter penalty, where Mm -hmm. a punt was downed at the one or two yard line, but that penalty brought it to where it was basically a touchback. So it's not that there were an inordinate amount of penalties, though it did feel that way because every single one of them was of genuine consequence. Yeah, um, that that's kind of how I felt. I mean, it was eight penalties for 68 yards. And uh, yeah, there was a bunch. It seemed like almost every penalty uh, there was like a big play that it negated or it was like in a big moment, uh, like the Eli Huggins uh, jump off sides uh, on the first drive where, when Mizzou was very clearly not going to snap it. Uh, however, he did have a video interview after the game where he said that he thought that the center uh, twitched the ball. Yeah. And that's why he jumped. So, I mean, the, the penalty still got called. So I can say that, but um, I, I'm i not worried about it as much going forward unless it continues. Again, that's kind of, I'm going to try and be consistent on that stance that I have the passing game. But it was definitely, it was frustrating because uh, for that reason, I really felt like we could have won. We could, we could have put up like close to 60 points in this game. Oh, yeah. uh, if it weren't for the self-inflicted penalties, uh, some of the struggles of the passing game. Um, but then again, Kleinman does also have a good point where it is really hard to complain about a 40 to 12 victory over a power five opponent. Yeah. Um, uh, especially one that has as much history as this one, but the penalties, uh, I'll be concerned if it continues, but yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Especially in a game that, I was telling you before the game, this is the most excited and the most anxious I've been for a single K-State game since I'd, I'd been here. And I imagine that there were a few people that on the team that felt the same way. In fact, there was one person on the team that we know for a fact felt the same way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Felix was not very happy. <laughs> he was he was getting pretty chippy out there. Well, I, I shouldn't, say chip, shouldn't say chippy because he... Uh, Oh, it wasn't like he was like playing dirty or anything, but he he was passionate is probably the better way to put it. He had choice uh, words for the, the, the left tackle. He did. And uh, he still had himself a pretty solid game. Um, it's going to be hard to get through any double team uh, at a power five level. And he was double team pretty much the entire game, but he still did get at least half a sack. But yeah. Yep. Now we can move into the stats for this game. We'll start off with the passing stats, which only one person recorded any passing stats, despite Jake Rubley coming in for the last drive. That was Adrian Martinez. He was a nine for 20 with 101 yards. I believe the adjusted completion percentage on PFF was something like 63.7. It was a, so there were a couple of drops to mix in with that. I think not accounting for drops. It ends up as 12 for 20 with probably 130. Like I said, the passing game wasn't necessarily the, it's not that it wasn't there. It was just take it or leave it. It's fine. Yeah. Um, there there were some drops in there. Um, there was a couple big ones. It was kind of like penalties. Uh, I know Malik, he had a, a drop that, granted the throw was a little low, but it was very catchable. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to give him a pass on it. And I think it would have been a first down on a third down maybe. Uh, then Philip Brooks, he had a drop as well. That he also definitely should have had. Um, so there were some frustrating drops in there. 
Uh, Adrian did have a few misfires as well. Um, a couple overthrows. Um, but for the and Benson, he also had a drop, the yeah. big third down drop, as I recall. Uh, so frustrating drops in there. Um, but uh, it, it was a better day, I think, for for Adrian though. Yeah, you know, you you'll take a win no matter how it is. And I also forgot to mention and write down that Adrian Martinez also had 52 yards on the ground, 13 rushing and a touchdown. Then Deuce was 24 for 146 on the ground with two touchdowns and one reception for four yards and also one billboard on the ride back to Columbia. I feel like that's the most elite stat he has. Yeah, that that was very funny to see. I We don't normally so see cold. stuff like that from K-State, so I, I was a little bit surprised. I didn't think it was real at first, and Taylor Bratt clarified that it is, in fact, real. But <laughs> Uh, yeah, that that was really funny. And then this is a, yet another a seemingly classic Deuce Vaughn as a A-plus phenomenal game that just kind of flies under the radar, say, for a few carries. At least it felt like that, yeah. where, I mean, he, he truly had an incredible game. And we're just like, yeah, that, that was a pretty average Deuce Vaughn performance. Yeah. But, yeah. And DJ Giddens had himself two carries for 29 yards and a touchdown. I, I've seen a particular nickname floated around for him. I'm not sure if I'm ready to assign that nickname, so I'm not going to say it yet. But, you know, he's DJ Gins is still definitely the RB2. In terms of receiving, Philip Brooks had three for 57 and a punt return touchdown, which that was immediately after the, I think it was 45 minute break, where also shout out to uh, to Michael. The hero of the day. <laughs> you didn't what see it, but we're saluting Michael. Uh, Michael, if you're out there, please contact us. <laughs> please. <laughs> um, uh, that's a story we'll have to tell someday. But coming immediately out of the 45-minute rain delay in which the students were singing 99 bottles of beer on the wall, amongst several other things, and also cheering and used towel guy. They called a quarterback draw, punted the ball, and then Philip Brooks had a house call. Brooks had quietly a pretty good receiving day as well. Yeah, he did uh, statistically three catches, 57 yards, by far the best day for any receiver thus far. Uh, he had that long play, 28 yards, where he about got into the end zone on that. It was kind of like a fake quarterback run, mm. uh, and then a uh, just a pass up the seam, kind of similar to that concept that South Dakota ran last mm-hmm. week with the, the our own uh, wrinkles. But it was a it was a nice play. He did have a costly drop, but he did also have the punt return touchdown. So it's hard to be too upset with him. Um, like to see it get cleaned up. Um, but yeah, uh, Philip not a terrible day. Yeah. Next up was Malik two for twenty six. With a drop, he had a good day. Seth Porter, one for seven. Cade, one for four. And Benson at one for three. So, again, the offensive stats may seem pretty underwhelming because, well, they are. And another note on the offense was the this kind of feeds into the defense a little bit. I would have liked it if we capitalized on the turnovers in MU territory a bit more, especially in the third quarter. But by then, by then, I honestly think we'd kind of shut the valves off a little bit, especially by like the second turnover. We're like, okay, we 
come on now. We don't we don't need to run it up on them that bad. But yeah, I I would have I think that's probably my biggest ding for the offense was just not capitalizing on those turnovers as much as you should. Yeah, that that was honestly getting really frustrating at that point because that was right before the game was fully in hand. Um, I I really would have liked us to uh, do more uh, with those turnovers than we did. Um, I mean, getting four interceptions on uh, four straight possessions as a defense is incredibly rare. So I would have liked to see us capitalize a little bit better on that. But uh, we did not, unfortunately. I think we only got one touchdown and a couple of field goals out of it. Mm-hmm. And um, one missed field goal. Yeah, then a missed field goal as well. But we we definitely should have done a lot more uh, with that. But uh, unfortunately, we were just not quite able to do so. But... Yep. And you can take defensive stats because I just hoarded all the offensive stats. Fine by me. Uh, Daniel Green, uh, he led the way with uh, seven tackles. He had a tackle for loss as well. Uh, and then he also had an interception that uh, uh, took me a second to uh, track. Because I was following uh, the running back being covered by Austin Moore over the middle, and I saw the quarterback wind, uh, wind up and throw from the corner of my eye, and the ball just never arrived. And I was trying to figure out where it went. And Daniel think, Green just—I thought he spiked it. Honestly, yeah, I thought he yeah. slipped and he spiked it. And Daniel Green just emerges with the ball somehow, kind of reminiscent of the uh, Wyatt Hubert pick against Mississippi State in 2018. Yeah. That was before your time, Ace. But no, I watched the game. No, well then you might remember it. It was about <laughs> the only good thing to happen in that game. But yep. um, yeah, Daniel Green had a really nice day. Austin Moore also had a really really good day. I thought six tackles, uh, two tackles for loss, uh, and a quarterback hurry. Uh, he has been a lot better than I think anybody expected him to be uh, as the uh, start, second linebacker. Uh, I've I've really enjoyed watching him so far this year, and I think it's only going to get better. Josh Hayes, um, he also had uh, four tackles, uh, two tackles for loss. He um, was really really good. I thought out of outside of like the first possession. Yeah. Um, the first possession, he had like a big missed tackles, I recall, of Brady Cook that allowed for a first down. Other than that, he had some really great open field tackles, was making some really nice hits um, and played well. He did have that one uh, pass breakup that was nearly a pick that became a uh, reception, but I'm not going to hold that against him because that's just bad luck. But That could have happened to anybody. Yeah. Julius, he uh, he had four tackles, uh, three huge hits as well. Um, he clearly spent some time working on a tackling for this offseason because it seems like every tackle he has is a just a major hit that everybody in the stadium can feel. But yeah. uh, he, he's been fun to watch. He only had one big question mark play, and that was when uh, Luther Burden got behind him at the beginning of the third quarter. Uh, It was a really bad throw, and Julius was close. Um, So I was a little bit concerned about that, but we didn't really see anything else like that throughout the rest of the game. So I'm not going to let it bother me long term unless it becomes a habit. And it's also Luther Bird, and he's just unbelievably athletic. We expected him to get behind the receivers at least once or twice, or behind the corners, I should say. Uh, Khalid Duke, he had a nice day. He had three tackles. Um Honestly, nothing super noteworthy on those. As I recall, he had three tackles and good job. Khalid Duke, (laughs) I guess. Um, Kobe Savage had himself a nice day as well. 
uh, three tackles and an interception. Uh, he's been a lot of fun to watch so far flying around the field. Um, he had the first pick. It was a really nice pick as well. Uh, athletic play. Uh, so that was nice to see. Uh, Eli Huggins, he had a tackle for loss and a QB hurry. Uh, again, nice to see him kind of come back after an early mistake and uh, um, make some uh, some nice plays down the road. Uh, he had three tackles as well. Felix had three tackles and half a sack and I think like a million taunts of the <laughs> Mizzou offensive line. Yeah. Uh, he had himself a, a nice game attracting attention away uh, from others. So nice day for Felix. Uh, Brendan Mott had two tackles and a tackle for loss. Uh, his tackle for loss, that was the one where Austin Moore, I think, almost had it, or Matlick maybe. And the running back, uh, Pete, reversed field and ran even further back. And then Brendan Mott got him way, way back for like a big time loss, as I recall. He was 14 yards, according to the K State stats. Yeah. Uh, Bo Palmer and Dre Cheatham each had two tackles. Uh, D. Hentz. He had uh, two tackles, uh, two and a half tackles for loss and half a sack. Um, Dehens was really, really good, um, I thought, in this game. Uh, I I thoroughly enjoyed watching him. He, I don't know, he's been a little surprising uh, how good he's been so far this year, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, Sincere Mason had a tackle, a pick, uh, and a pass breakup. Um, yeah, and also an insane PFF coverage grade. <laughs> yeah, his PFF coverage grade was absolutely nuts. Um, I don't know how accurate it is, but I mean, it, I'll take a 91. Yeah. Well, we'll say the, the good ones are right. The bad ones are wrong. Exactly. Um, That's what we do with echo. That's true. Uh, sincere's pick could have very easily been a Julius Brent's pick as well. Uh, Cause they were both right there. It was not a good throw at all. Um, Nick Allen, he played a few snaps and then got a deflected interception. I believe it was deflected at the line by somebody. Yeah. Uh, then, like a big group of players had a tackle apiece Matthew Mashmeyer, uh, Seth Porter, Echo Boydo, Omar Daniels, Nikendre Steiger, Cody Selfabean, TJ Smith, and then Uso Sayamalo. They all had one tackle. TJ also had a pass deflection in the end zone that should have ended the game, but, but. did not. And then uh, after that, uh, Ty Zentner punting had an excellent day. He really uh, had a nutty day. <laughs> he did. He had four punts, 217 yards, averaged 54.2 yards per punt with a long of 66. Two inside the 20. I think both of those were inside the five, maybe. Yeah, I think, yeah, both of them were inside the five. Yeah, and then three 50-plus yard punts. That is a heck of a day for Ty Zentner. Uh, he was awesome. Good for him. Um, normally, it's a bad thing when your punter has a great day because it means you're punting a lot, but it was not that in this case at least uh he he just performed well with uh the four punts that he had yep we always got to give respect to the punters whenever legatron shows up so <laughs> so the now that we've gone over the general game day recap and the stats we can go over our game day grades where we go over every single position including offensive and defensive coordinators giving them a grade from f to a plus f meaning they single-handedly lost us the game and A-plus meaning they basically single-handedly won us the game or had an absolutely spectacular performance. So we're going to start with the man under center, as we always do, and that is Adrian Martinez. And the quarterback for me, this was a game where it was certainly improved, but just like what I noted with the passing game, it wasn't great. 
but it was enough when combined with the rushing attack. I'm going to give Adrian Martinez a C plus. That's exactly what I gave him as well. Um, passing game was a slight improvement. I'd say running game was consistent with South Dakota. Um, and then getting a lot of the passing failures. Um, he did have a few misfires, but um, there there was also uh, some drop issues on the wide receiver side, which we will get to uh, here in a bit. Um, but yeah, I'm not too upset uh, with the results, especially considering the uh, the rain. Granted, I suppose you could say that the uh, the catching for the rain goes both ways, and we got four interceptions on the defensive side. But um, receivers, we're not there yet, but we'll talk about them. C plus for Adrian. Yeah. Next up is running backs. This will be the second week in a row where the Deuce Vaughn room gets an A plus. Yeah, I gave an A plus for uh. Um, Deuce and I suppose DJ as well. You could, I guess, subtract a little if you want to for the Anthony Frias fumble there at the very end. I'm not going to do that because I it hardly matters. So A plus because Deuce was phenomenal with uh, I think right out 150 all purpose yards uh, and two touchdowns. And then DJ had a really nice run there at the end too. So no reason not to give an A plus here. Yep. Next up is probably the most interesting one and the one we'll have the most to talk about, I imagine, or at least the most, unfortunately, negative. So the wide receiver room is next up. Cards on the table, I gave him a D plus. Not only because, well, mostly because of the drop issues, but there were also a lot of times that it seemed like their routes just weren't as crisp as you thought I would and as you would want them to be, I should say. And I... I hate to say I know, but I know that Thad Ward is not coaching them to run the routes on like he's not coaching the routes that they're running on a few times because they're not as sharp at because that was one thing that whenever I was going back to watch a little bit of tape from I think it was Central Michigan that he worked at. It was either Central or Western where he worked at. That was one thing that was always that was always his calling card was the receivers were always really good. He coached Corey Davis and he was one among many things known for his pretty crisp routes coming out of college. So the main one that I'm thinking of was an in-breaking route to Malik Knowles. Now, again, it's raining. The field is a little slick. I'm willing to give a little bit of grace for that. But at the same time, it's still, it wasn't a great route, even if he did slip. The route running just hasn't been as sharp, and there's been a little bit of issue separating in, you know, true man situations, which luckily MU didn't really seem to run a lot of them. And Mix all of that with the drop issues. They ended up getting a, a D plus for me. Like they weren't losing us the game, but they were definitely below average. I gave him a D. Uh, the drops really bothered me. Uh, Malik had a pretty bad one. It, it was egregious. Uh, same with Philip. And yeah, like you said, I, I I feel bad giving them that bad of a grade because yeah, the fuel conditions probably could have been better, but everybody was playing on the same field and. Uh, Mizzou's receivers didn't have glaring drop problems. Uh, there were some throwing issues, um, but I don't know how rain-related that was. Um, the receivers, not super inspiring whatsoever. Um, I, I was pretty disappointed. Uh, last week, I thought it was a bit of both in the passing game with who was struggling. This week, I felt like it was definitely more on the receivers than um, on Adrian. Yeah, Adrian, if you miss fires, but receivers drop issues uh not the best routes like you said ace and uh, 
I just, I don't know. I, I don't want to revert back to last year, uh, early last year with receiver performance. I'm hoping that we can uh, turn the, turn the corner here sooner rather than later. Cause Tulane, I think is going to be the ultimate measuring stick for what to expect. Um, would like to see more rotation at receiver. Cause we saw the same three guys were almost the entire game. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure what their strategy is with that, but yeah, D for me. Unless they're still hiding RJ Garcia. Which would be very strange. Don't know why they'd want to do that, but oh well. I don't know. Next up is tight ends fullbacks. To me, they were the ultimate, they were fine room. I ended up, there's not much that I can really say there. They blocked pretty well. Ben Sinnott had a drop, but not much to say. I ended up giving him just a, a B. I give him a C plus for, I guess, effectively the same reason. Uh, I can't really be that upset with them. Uh, Senna did have the drop that was really frustrating. Uh, Jackson Ean got a handoff uh, out of the shotgun, which was really interesting. Um, then, you know, they blocked pretty well. For a majority of the game, I'd say, but they were complete non-factors in the passing game. Sammy Wheeler has been uh, dead silent for most of the year so far. Uh, he's been unnoticeable on the field, really. Um, and yeah, uh, just not a, not a ton to say about this room. Again, they just didn't really produce a lot. Uh, C plus. Yeah. Offensive line, my favorite room to evaluate. This one... If if we broke it down, I would honestly go tackles, get an A minus, and interior gets a straight B. To me, it ends up balancing out to a B plus. And the main reason for that is because of there's a little bit that just seemed lacking from mainly one player, and unfortunately it was Panzer. Panzer to me seemed like he just kind of had this okay game where he was getting beat off the line, getting beat on the interior a bit more than he should have. And again, you never know. MU's defensive line is probably the strength of their team alongside their their entire front six is the strength of their team. That doesn't mean that I'm going to raise the grade because the other team's better because I expect the offensive line to be able to match anybody, no matter who lines up. But, you know, KT is a surprisingly good left tackle considering what we saw in 19... 20. 20. Considering what we saw in 20, Cooper Beebe is as advertised as a left guard. It's his natural position. Gilly at center is an upgrade to Noah Johnson last year. And then Christian Duffy, barring the one false start, which we marked as the Christian Duffy moment of the game, is is doing his job. In fact, I think he was the highest rated offensive lineman this week on PFF. But to me, it's just that one little spot. And B-plus is not a bad grade. It's just B-plus. They were a good unit this week with a couple of issues. Yeah, I gave them a B for roughly the same reasons. Uh, they were they were fine, uh, above average, um, not incredible, but they were they were passable. Uh, a couple of mistakes. Uh, KT I think had like a big holding call at one point that wiped something out. Uh, then Duffy's fault start, um, and then yeah, Panzer didn't have the greatest day. Uh, pass protection struggled for a little while. Um, but for the most part, it wasn't really that bad. Run blocking was really good, uh, for the most part as well, uh, especially down the stretch. But yeah, they, they weren't that 
absolutely phenomenal unit uh, that I was hoping for this game, but they were still a good unit and a net positive to the team. So B for me. Yeah. Moving on to the defensive side of the ball, starting with the defensive line. This was a game where, again, it's similar to the offensive line where they had a good game, but I would want a little bit more. I want Nate Matlick to be, I want him to get that extra yard because he's been within a yard of sacks. I I remember seeing it like three times this last game. And it happened twice during the South Dakota game. He just hasn't gotten there yet. But to me, the Huggins fault, uh, not false start, offsides or neutral zone infraction, whatever they ended up calling it. That knocks it down a little bit. And then other than that, it just seemed like a generally good but not outstanding performance. I gave him a B plus. I gave the D-line an A uh, for this game. I thought that they were really good. Uh, Felix was taking uh, two guys every single play. Matlick was getting almost there every single play. Uh, Huggins and Hence, I thought, were really good. Uh, Brendan Mott has continued to impress as well. Uh, Jalen Pickle, I've enjoyed watching as well. Um, I thought that they all did really good at uh, playing assignment sound and uh, taking uh, linemen away for our linebackers uh, to come in and uh, clean up the mess a lot of times. So I gave them an A for that because I felt like they were very assignment sound. And uh, they didn't have the splash stats that we've kind of gotten used to. Um, But even so, they still were creating a lot of havoc. And they they did a lot that I really liked. So an A from me for the D-line. Yep. Next up is the linebacking room, which in my opinion was the best room on, well, maybe competing with the running backs for the best room on the team, just because of the absolute monster performances by Daniel Green and Austin Moore. If you would have told me that Austin Moore would have been the brightest spots of this defense, I would have laughed in your face. Not because I think Austin Moore is bad or not because I ever thought he was bad, but because I always viewed him as just okay. But Austin Moore had himself an amazing game both this week and last week. Obviously, both of them coming in with high-impact performances. Austin Moore with two TFLs, Daniel Green with a pick. I ended up giving them an A+. Yeah, I gave them an A+, as well. Uh, I thought that they were excellent um, all game. Uh, Daniel Green making big hits per usual. Austin Moore had some really nice tackles and some uh, great tackles for loss. Uh, Nick Allen had the random interception. Um, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching them. Um, they they had an excellent game uh, yet again. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing them continue this because that's my expectation at this point is that they're at least the one line is going to be really, really good. Uh, we didn't see Jake Clifton, as I recall. Uh, which was interesting after he played so much last week. Yeah. Um, so maybe they're going to try and redshirt him and they're just being extra careful. Um, but I, I'm looking forward uh, to how this unit continues to progress because uh, I, I thought they were really, really good. Did you give him an A plus too? I did give him an A plus. Okay. Next room is the defensive backs. And this one, this one was probably the one I struggled with the most. Because on one hand, they had a couple of really, really big splash plays. And the time, but on the other hand, the times they got beat were, were not great. I'm thinking of specifically the Lovett reception on a fade route up the sideline and the fact that Julius Brents did kind of get cooked by Luther Burden. 
But outside of that and outside of those two glaring misses, I thought they had a really good game. I ended up giving them an A- minus because with a better quarterback, those two would have hurt a lot more. I ended up going with an A-plus for the DBs because I they did get beat once by Luther Burden, but I think that that was going to happen anyways. And uh, it didn't end up mattering. Uh, and then the love at play was frustrating. Uh, but that was the lone perfect throw uh, on the day, and also a really great catch. Um, I, I I gave them an A plus because I thought that coverage for most of the game was great. They had four picks, uh, and well, two of them I suppose were defensive backs. Um, yeah. But and they also were tackling really well for a lot of the game. Julius Brents had a really nice day tackling, uh, along with uh, Kobe Savage and others. Um, I I couldn't. I was very concerned after that first possession of the second half where a lot of the uh, splash plays and uh, Luther Burden uh, beating Julius Brents happened. But other than that possession, I really didn't have any moments where I was actively frustrated with the defensive backfield. So I gave them an A plus uh, for that. Next up is the offensive coordinator, Colin Klein. And this is another game. I ended up just copy and pasting my grade from the previous week, but for pretty much the same reason that he gets a mulligan because of the rain. He was still calling up plays that I felt were good for the situation, barring the the turnover drives. That those those really could have knocked him down a lot more. But to me, it was the ultimate fine performance. He gets a little bit of a pass in the passing game, no pun intended, because of the rain. I ended up giving him a B minus, which is the same grade I gave him last week. I gave him a B minus, which is a very, it's a slight step down from where I was last week. Cause I am giving him a little grace, but I am also, uh, I'm not going to let that go too far. Cause it's understandable. I hate to be like, yeah, there's a valid excuse two weeks in a row, but there kind of is because, you know, last week you, you have get out to the lead early and you have a power five opponent. So, you don't want to show too much this week. You know, it was a monsoon for half the game. <laughs> so I I get it. I, I do. But I don't want to give him too much uh, leeway there. B minus is still a fine grade. I thought that he had some particularly creative plays uh, like the uh, uh, pass up the seam to Phillip Brooks in the first quarter, I believe it was. Um, Might have been, may not have been. Uh, um, Deuce was utilized in an interesting way. I'd like to see more uh usage of deuce uh, in the passing game although it seems like in the passing game we were trying to use him more as a decoy than anything else uh to draw attention away from other things like like on that play that i mentioned uh to philip brooks deuce was motioned out into the slot and uh that was i think meant to cause some confusion disarray in the defense which it worked really well um but b minus for me lots of room for improvement but again Two games in the year, I'm not going to hit the alarm bells. Yep. Well, we'll see if the Tulane game gives us better weather. <laughs> I really hope so. Just yeah. better weather and like a normal situation for a game. That's all I want. Yeah, that, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? And now we get into the defensive coordinator, Joe Klanderman. And I believe for the first time, uh, someone named not named Deuce Vaughn in a room led by Deuce Vaughn. For the first time in the history of doing game day grades, 
I'm giving out an A plus two weeks in a row because what Joe Klanderman did. Yeah. Last week I struggled calling it a masterclass. No, this one was a defensive masterclass by Joe Klanderman. And there's not much that I can say that there's not much I can say about it. Yeah. I gave him an A plus as well uh, for the reasons you've listed. There's not a whole lot I can say about it other than really the only times we got beat were understandable. You know, it was going to happen at some point with how talented the receivers are. But other than that, we were incredibly disciplined and aggressive. Uh, Really, really fun defense uh, to watch. Uh, A lot of havoc plays, a lot of tackles for loss. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed them, and I'm really happy with how Klanderman has been doing uh, so far. So A-plus from me. Yep. It's amazing. He's getting two A-pluses in a week. Can he make it three? I hope hope he can against Tulane. But yeah, that would that'd be that'd be a kind of a cause for alarm if Tulane is the game that he doesn't. But yeah. next up is we answer the questions we posed in the preview episode. The first one wasn't a question, but rather a statement. It was a battle of two new coordinators and K-State offensive coordinator Colin Klein and defensive coordinator Blake Baker. Here's what I'll say on this. I predicted this to be a defensive battle. I truly did. I did not account for the fact that the offense of MU would have turned the ball over four times. You see, that was a tactical error by me. I believe that if this if this game really did have the defense of MU and the uh, the defense of K, goodness gracious, the offense of K State rebooting. The defense of K-State and the defense of MU, if the time of possession was split equally as opposed to like 65-35, it would have been a lot closer as a defensive matchup. But as it stands, I believe that you can tentatively say and call this a draw because of the red zone and the turnovers and how the defense of MU responded to them. If I had to pick a winner, I would pay, I would say Colin Klein because he won the game, but it was an interesting matchup to say the least. Yeah. I think that's a fair statement. I I probably give Klein the edge here just because I don't think they utilize Luther bird in a good way at all. Uh, I thought that they would, design more to get the ball in his hands and he had one catch for three yards and yeah he did have the play where he beat julius brand steep but uh you know what didn't really count because the ball was not completed unfortunately the stat sheet won't see it that way yeah so yeah i I, i'll give a slight edge to klein here mainly like just because he didn't really take advantage of those turnovers that well and then also partially just because mizzou's offense just really didn't look that good i thought uh, they they looked pretty bad, and they should be embarrassed. <laughs> they really should. Like, I, no, that, that's that's a Q and A question. I won't dive dive into that. Next question was: Does Adrian Martinez let it fly this game? He tried. He tried, but it was raining. <laughs> yeah, I I think that if it was like an overcast, non rainy day in Manhattan, Kansas, I think he lets it fly. But he that was not what happened. So he did not. But he he certainly attempted at times just drop issues and whatnot. Uh, a couple misfires, but um he looked more comfortable in the pocket, I'd say. Uh for the most part. Uh was more decisive this week, I'd say as well. 
but yeah, I, uh, I, I would say that he, he at least attempted to let it fly. <laughs> he tried his best. Next question. Does MU's run defense take a step forward or backwards? Having watched them play last year, this was a step forwards for them. <laughs> well, if that's the case, then I guess I'll agree because I don't have a frame of reference for last <laughs> year, which if this is or that's absolutely horrifying because they gave oh, no. 235 net, but no, 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 it was, it was worse last year. All right. I'll take your word for it. I believe you. Cause at least this game, they look assignment sound and I can chalk a good bit of it up to, they were on the field for like 87 years. Fair. Honestly. The, last year it was literally the time of possession was about equal but not because the offense was good, but because they kept scoring in one play off the run. They weren't giving up one play touchdowns. That's improvement. Fair enough, honestly. Fair enough. Yeah. Is it going to be MU's defense versus the world? Yes, it was. <laughs> it absolutely was. And you know what? It didn't even matter because their defense wasn't really doing that well either. Like Even early in the game, they weren't doing great. So it's just a... It's just by virtue of the fact that the defense played a little bit better than the offense did. I say a little bit. They were they were much better than their, than their offense because their offense was that bad. But yeah. Can K State secondary contain the athletes MU has at receiver? Apparently, yes. Yeah. Save for a couple instances at the very beginning of the second half, uh, K State's uh, completely contained uh, and neutralized uh, the receiving game. Lovett had that 40-yard catch, uh, and Luther Burden had the uh, fly that never was, and that that was pretty much it. Uh, I mean, Lovett had about a third of Mizzou's total uh, passing yards on a single catch. So, um, yeah, Casey was able to contain Mizzou uh, at receiver uh, much more effectively than I expected. Yeah. The final question we had was, can Drinkowitz keep himself from saying or do something stupid between the recording and the game? Credit to him, between recording the episode and the game starting, yes, yes, he did. But he waited until after. He yeah. waited until after the game. Oh my God. Were you yeah. surprised? Yeah, I was surprised. Why? Why were you? Oh, my God. I... That was a very weird thing for him to say because, I mean, that's effectively him admitting that they completely underprepared uh, and underestimated. Um, either that or they were overconfident uh, going, which I, I suppose is almost an objective fact uh, that they were overconfident. But yeah, he, he definitely had some less than intelligent things to say afterwards. Um, maybe he had something unintelligent to say at midfield when Climbing uh, kind of uh, snuck out of the handshake a little quickly. I feel like both of them kind of snuck out of the handshake. They're just like, I don't want to talk to you right yeah. now. Climbing was definitely more visible than drink. Climbing was definitely more visibly upset uh, that he had to go uh, be in the presence of drink than vice versa. It seemed like Fair. to me. I don't know why. I, maybe it was just frustration with how he handled the end of the game. Uh, or maybe it was just a pent up frustration from how he spoke about Avery Johnson. I say spoke about uh, how he subtly poked fun at a 17 year old. But and congratulations to that 17 year old for clapping back and harder. Fair enough. But 
Yeah, okay. drink, drink, drink will always find a way to put his foot in his mouth. God, I'm so excited for when his contract expires next year if he makes it that long. But mm. I don't, yeah, I don't see his punting within the first three weeks. Uh huh. They oh, that plan work out for you. Oh, how many times did they punt against us? I think it was six. I think yeah, it was six, six times. Also, their punter wasn't good. Maybe that's what he meant. Was that he didn't want to punt because their punter's like not that great. Like his punter like shanked a couple like outside, especially after uh, the uh, Brooks return touchdown. Uh, you could tell that he, he was just kicking him out of bounds. Really, yeah, it's like I don't want to kick to Philip Brooks, which yeah. I'm really surprised that more teams have not taken that approach. Mm-hmm. Really strange because I think he now has four punt return touchdowns in his career. Yeah, second in case state history. Yeah. All right, so. Now that we've answered the questions, now let's give out our MVP awards. Do you want to go offensive? Do you want to do yours first for offense or defense? I'll do mine first for offense, although I, it hardly matters because I think we're both just going to say Deuce Vaughn. Yeah, because he was great and had another phenomenal game, made some guys look silly, uh, had a couple of big runs. What else do I need to say about Deuce Vaughn? He had like a 30 yard reception down the sideline that got called back. Um, dubious reasons. Dubious reasons, one might say. Uh, anything to add, Ace? No, you can take defense too because the offense was a cop out. <laughs> um, I struggled with this for a while. I, because I truly think that there's probably five people, maybe more, that you could give this to and i'd say yeah you know what i i can believe that but i ended up rolling with austin moore uh, for this one i feel like he's really earned this uh mvp um six tackles two for loss uh qb hurry um he has been far beyond the expectations that i think anybody in the fan base had for him uh, and i have thoroughly enjoyed uh, watching him play the last couple weeks. He's been great right alongside Daniel Green. So Austin Moore is my MVP. I agree with you. I had Austin Moore as my MVP too, and it's not just because we share a first name, but because just part of me wants to say it's because of the development, but that's not why. It's because he legitimately had the best defensive day. And like you said, the the candidates that I was going through was Daniel Green, who had more tackles and a TFL and a pick. Austin Moore, who ended up getting it. Julius Brents, because every time he hits someone, they either explode and jack up the defense. Kobe Savage is everywhere on the field at once. Sincere Mason gets the second week in a row with an interception. Felix screamed really loudly and probably scared at least two of the offensive linemen. Yeah. But to me, it almost has to be Austin Moore just because he did everything that was asked of him and did not have any true lapses in what was asked of him. He knew his role and he excelled in his role exceptionally well, including those two tackles for loss. One was of major consequence. So yeah, Austin Moore is my MVP as well. And congratulations to him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was uh, phenomenal for the most part, I thought. And he was really great last week, too. Um, so I'm looking forward to hopefully him continuing this. Yeah, I mean, because we've reached a point where 
uh, Will Honus is not going to step in and start once he's healthy. Nope. And we're probably not even going to see a ton of Will Honus once he's healthy, just Austin because of Moore's how good Austin Moore's been. Spot. Yeah, that's Austin Moore's spot now. It's no longer Will Honus's spot. So, yeah, I, which shame for Austin, not for Austin Moore, shame for Will Honus, but I, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's all I can say is wow. But after MVPs, we always do general game day takeaways. First one, yep, offense still legit. I mean, defense is, is still very much legit. <laughs> Mob is still here. Yeah, they were awesome all game. Uh, they were exciting uh, and they uh, uh, aggressive uh, is the best word for them. I think their havoc great continues to be great. Um, and I, I've thoroughly enjoyed watching the defense uh, times more than the offense because uh, this is going to be one of the better defense, one of the best defenses in the Big 12. Uh, if they continue this level of play. Um, uh, and they'll they'll be top three easily at this rate. Yeah. We'll, we'll do handing off here so you and, can take the next one. Um, offense, still iffy. Um, running game is just fine for the most part, uh, but passing game continues to struggle. Running game has had its share of uh, lapses, but it's generally been pretty consistent. Passing game continues to struggle. Uh, offense, though, as a whole, when you combine all of that, uh, shaky. Not going to get overly concerned yet, but really need a good passing performance before we get into conference play against Tulane. Yeah. Next up, no matter who is playing safety, every single option that has been deployed with regularity has been good. Which, if you would have told me that, well arguably sincere Mason has been the best of them. I would have believed you, but I probably would have raised an eyebrow and thought about it for a minute, but Kobe Savage, Josh Hayes, VJ Payne is getting, he's still getting meaningful snaps. You have TJ Smith occasionally getting in every single person that they've deployed at Drake Cheatham. All of them that have been deployed at safety have been not just serviceable, not just okay, but good at that role. Yeah, uh, that, that's been shocking given that back in media days, Kleiman uh, was publicly talking about how big of a question mark the safeties were. And at this point, they're one of the strong points of the defense as a whole uh, with how good they've been and also how deep they've been because they're, they're probably six deep there right now, minimum. Yeah, I, and maybe he meant that the question mark was who starts because all of them are that good. <laughs> that is possibly what he meant, honestly. Uh there's a lot of guys uh, there that we really like, I think. Uh, and TJ was hurt week one, but he's back now. And he uh, was getting some playing time and didn't look like he had missed too much of a step. No. Next up is you again. Yeah. Uh, even with uh, just a few sacks, uh, still getting a lot of pressure uh, defensively. Um, and yeah, like you said earlier, Nate Matlick, he... Uh, I don't want to step on the toes of the next point, but he oh, uh, was getting, yeah, he was getting really close um, to several sacks. Felix was getting in there a few times. Huggins got close. Uh, th- this was the sort of game where I think we get three or four sacks if Brady Cook isn't as uh, quick as he is. Yeah. But um, it, it was just a really, really uh, sound game for making Brady Cook uncomfortable in the pocket. Um, I'm 
the defensive line and linebackers continued to do a really good job uh, in that department. I think Echo Boydo came off like a blitz once or something like that. And he, he got kind of close as well. Uh, So I uh, pass rushes continue to be good, uh, aggressive and well-timed. So a lot to like there. Yep. And you mentioned the next one, which was Matt look, but next one, Felix really hates him. You, <laughs> he really, really hates them, which is so funny because that's where he would have ended up going if we didn't offer him. Yeah, maybe there's like some uh, um, pent up hatred there with uh, uh, like like them never offering or seeing uh that potential that K State saw on him, uh, which is understandable. But yeah, he he definitely had extra fire and I'm going into this game. I think you would have really liked to have had a, an additional sack uh, in this game rather than just a half sack. But uh, he he was playing uh, with additional passion, more so than he even usually does, because he's normally a very high motor player. But it was uh, amped up in this game. Yeah, I, I was really tempted to start the the king is going to kill you chant. <laughs> king is going to kill you. He, he he was out for blood. <laughs> he was. And even though he didn't produce a ton, he was still taking a double team every play and freeing that up for others. So they're still uh, that's still good for Felix because uh, he, he's just taking up the uh, room for others. But moving on, uh, the offensive line's weak spot is probably right guard right now. But Hadley Panzer, uh, he's still good. I think he's just, I think the weakest link there right now, obviously the left side has been really good. Gilly's been good at center. Uh, then Duffy's been pretty solid at right tackle as well. Um, Panzer, I'll call it an adjustment period. I liked what I saw from him last year and he's a natural center. I believe at least he was in line to play center. Um, so I'm, I'm not really that worried at all about it. Um, uh, but I, I'm looking forward to seeing how he develops on the rest of the season because I think he's still a redshirt freshman or maybe a true sophomore if he had burned his redshirt last year. He's, uh, he's very young. He's very young. So I'm looking forward to seeing how he uh, continues his development. Yep. And the final note is the kicking game was not perfect, but it was improved. And I, I really do think that there's a little bit of credence to when Kleiman says, hey, when he misses a field goal, you don't talk to him because there's not really much that you can tell him. You just kind of have to let him figure it out. And yes, he did miss one field goal, but I believe he that was the only one he missed and the extra point was blocked, which is not the kicker. So, you know, the kicking game is improved from last week. Not that it could get a whole lot worse, but it's improved, but still watch it. Yeah, uh, I definitely still have my eyes on this going forward, but yeah, he did miss a 31 yarder, which is frustrating, but he hit from 35 and 37. He did miss that one extra point, uh, which, uh, you know, is frustrating as well. But it, like you said, it was blocked. So uh, it you can't really get on the kicker for that. Um, um, yeah, I, I'm a, a little concerned going forward about it, but. Um, he did, I remember hit like a 54 yarder or something like that against Texas last year. So he's at least got range. Um, I'm interested to see how he performs going forward. Um, I, I wouldn't say I'm comfortable in a like game winning field goal position quite yet with him, but, uh, I, I'm interested to see how he develops because he is still very young. 
uh redshirt freshman i think he might actually be a true sophomore i think about it because he played a lot last year but um yeah we'll see uh how the accuracy comes along because the power is there uh it's just the accuracy and consistency that i really like to see uh and then also i don't like bagging on the kickers because i know that's like 90 percent mental yeah so i i, I want to prop the kicker up and <laughs> make sure that they're uh uh feeling confident but yeah that's just me Yep. So that pretty much wraps up the recap of the cat fight and just final words on it, just to, to put a bow on it. If you could come up with one sentence to describe this game, what would it be? Apologies for not putting it on the outline and I can go first if necessary. Uh, one sentence. Yeah. Um, I'll say surprisingly dominant uh, by case. Yeah. I would pretty much use the same word. It's that, shockingly dominant against a team that they weren't expected to beat as bad. Yeah. Which good. Yeah. Good. (laughs) There, there wasn't a ton of controversy about K-State winning the game. It was just in the manner in which it happened, I think. So yeah. Good for cats. Then you had, then you had stupid moron people like me saying this will be a defensive battle. You know, most people (laughs) thought that I think going into the game uh, after the passing game struggled last week and the zoo's defense was lauded uh, throughout the week. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't think that was a like otherworldly projection or anything, but yeah, but that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville alley cats podcast. Tune in next time when we have episode 100, which we have, I'm not going to say we have anything particularly big. It's a big Q&A episode mixed with a weekly recap. But tune in. I believe it will release tomorrow of the time that this episode comes out. So that will actually lead to three consecutive days of Alley Cats content. That it will. That it will indeed. Yeah. But that's looking ahead. For now, thank you for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Aggieville A Cats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email us, we are AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ACEdwards00. I am at Connor Bouncesor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the officially the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find the staff-approved Dune Tang Clan shirt, Play Sandstorm Cowards, as well as Neon Alley Cats, and many, many other designs. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.